Welcome to Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. My name is Jordi Karlinski, and I'm a former professional athlete turned real estate agent based out of Aspen, Colorado. In this podcast, I interview business and real estate professionals, coaches across many industries, and other athletes to deliver educational and life-changing content. If you are someone who has a thirst for personal and business development, who seeks growth in all aspects of your life, and who wants to dive deeper into real-life current events as they relate to business and real estate, then this is the podcast for you. everyone and welcome to episode 9 of Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. I am your host Jordi and if there's one not so guilty pleasure that I have it is enjoying a great glass of wine. The wine industry is so fascinating to me yet seems so complex and becoming a sommelier sounds like a lot of hard work. Maybe in my next life that'll be the path I take but Because my wine interest runs deep, I am thrilled to have sommelier and restaurant owner Jill Carnavale on this week's episode. If there's one word that sums up Jill, it is inspiring. Jill quit Wall Street, gave up what could have been a lot of money to follow her dreams of becoming a sommelier at one of Aspen's best restaurants and one of my favorites, Alina. As sommelier, Jill has curated an award-winning global wine list over the past 10 years with over 1,500 bottles to choose from. Fast forward to present day, and Jill is now the current owner of Alina. Listen on to hear Jill's journey of how she got to where she is now, what she learned from previous jobs and experiences, and how she is adapting to being a restaurant owner amidst a pandemic. New restrictions on Aspen restaurants have been put in place since Jill and I recorded this episode. Indoor dining is not currently allowed in Picking County, where Aspen is located. To support Jill and Alina, as well as other local restaurants, you can order takeout and purchase gift cards. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hi, Jill. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thanks so much. So let's dive right in. Tell me a bit about how you got to where you are today as sommelier and also restaurant owner of Alina in Aspen, Colorado. Well, I I went to the University, University of Colorado and after I, I studied neuroscience, which really hmm. pertains to nothing that I'm doing now. And then when I graduated, I moved back to New York City and, you know, I was just looking for jobs. You know, like I think back, I graduated in 2000, and I think you actually had to look in the paper for jobs. So I was looking for jobs and and everything that was coming up that was decent money was in finance. So I said, my dad was in the financial industry. So I said, ah, I'll go. I'll, I'll just try one of these jobs. So I, I got a job in finance and I was like an assistant and I worked my way up. And um, yeah, I ended up working on Wall Street for like nine years. Wow. And I, I did equity research sales and at kind of at the end, nine years, I was kind of burnt out. And I was like, I think I'll move back to Colorado. So I'm, I moved to Aspen. And I, you know, Alina was just opening and I got a job there as the expo. And it kind of just all rolled out from there. Well, I did not know that about you. And did you say nine years on Wall Street? Yeah, I keep it a secret. I, I mean, it's, it's not a secret, but 
yeah, I, I worked on Wall Street for nine years. It was it was an incredible experience. Um, it, it was interesting. Yeah. Do you take anything that you learned from that experience into your business today? You know, I do just because the, the field that I was in, I was in equity research uh, sales. So, you know, my, my job was traveling all over really the U.S. And, and covering my accounts and bringing research analysts, like top Wall Street research analysts from my firm. I worked for Lehman Brothers and Deutsche Bank. And you just sit and, you know, your job is to kind of arrange all these meetings between your clients and, and the analysts at your firm. And you sit there and for, for six meetings in a row, you listen to top hedge fund managers, you know, mutual fund managers and these really smart analysts talk about one specific industry for hours. And, you know, you end up learning a lot. You really do. Yeah. You end up learning a lot about a lot of different industries. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, maybe it's not direct, but I definitely learned a bunch. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, um, so I know you, you know, I want to start with, you also are, are a sommelier. Right. Tell me about that experience and what piqued your interest there. So, you know, when I was on Wall Street, I, you know, one of my jobs when you're traveling all over is to take people out to, you know, you take your customers out to nice dinners. And at the time, it was when Wall Street was was good and you had you just had an unlimited expense account. So we'd be going to these fancy, amazing restaurants and, you know, you're taking like it'd be, you know, you were you kind of mentioned a couple of things to me when we talked about this earlier, just about being a woman in the industry. But if you want to talk about being a woman on Wall Street, it would be me with like 15 really powerful men and I was in charge of the dinner. So I'd have to order the wine. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the first thing I was like, I need to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was getting to drink great stuff. And then I was engaged to a guy that, that got me really into wine at the time. He had a big seller and he really taught me a lot and he piqued my interest and I kind of got obsessed. So while I was working on Wall Street, I actually took my, my first level SOM test just like for fun. I was just, it, it actually took it in Aspen. I came on vacation here and I took it, I think it was at the St. Regis. I took the intro test there. I, I just became obsessed. I still have, you know, I had a big seller. I had a huge, a huge seller in New York that I still have there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the interest was peaked. So when I moved here and was got the first job at Alina when it was opening as the expo, I had already, I have, I had a ton of wine experience and wine knowledge just out of my own personal interest. So mm -hmm. kind of after being at Alina, it was a brand new restaurant. The person that was the Somme there whatever. I don't, I, he, maybe I wasn't really that into the way he was, was running the program. And after a year, about a year, he got let go and I took over the wine program. And, you know, I, I still am the song. I still run the wine program there. It's, it's, you know, I won't give that up because it's, you know, maybe my favorite part of that job. The rest of it's kind of painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get more to the restaurant side of things eventually. Um, but that's so cool. So, I mean, I have to ask, what's your favorite type of wine if you could narrow it down? Um, yeah. I mean, people ask me that in the restaurant all the time too. And it's, you know, I, I love my, if I had to pick one wine for the rest of my life, it would be Barolo, um, which is Nebbiolo is the grape and it's um, from Northwest Italy. And it's really considered the king of, of all Italian wines. I mean, it's, I, I drink a lot of Brunello. I just in general drink a lot of Italian wines. I think the really expensive stuff is amazing. And then there's so many great regional grapes from Italy that no one knows about on the red and white side. Mm -hmm. um, but if I had to, you know, Barolo's, it's just amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a beautiful balance between masculinity and femininity and power and structure and grace. It's, it's really, you'll have to come, you'll come drink one. We'll, I'll, I'll explain it in person. <laughs> Absolutely. Would love to. Um, and I think I remember one time you told me that you, you were over in Italy, right. And worked on a um, winery. 
Yeah, I, I worked Harvest um, in 2016 in Bulgaria, which is on the Tuscan coast. And it, it was an amazing experience. I mean, at the time I had, I, I maybe had these thoughts that I would like to make wine. And when I saw how difficult, it's so much work. I mean, it's an mm-hmm. amazing amount of work that goes into Harvest every single year. I mean, it's a, you want to talk about a year round stressful job. It's, it's winemaking. So yeah. um, it, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it was so cool to, to be in Italy for a month and, you know, get to work on making wines and, um, you know, maybe in another life I'd go back and do it in Burgundy or something. Um, but yeah. it, it's fun. It's, it's cool. I, I don't think I could do it full time, but it, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. And do you take some of those lessons you learned over in Italy to your restaurant with your wine presentation? I mean, no, just and- because it was just because, you know, it was kind of hard because I, I spoke my, both my parents are Italian and I spoke Italian when I was a kid, just with my grandparents. And it's, it's definitely, when I was there, it kind of got better, but just all of it was Italian. No one spoke English. So, you know, the language, it was a language barrier just because I can speak Italian. Like if we went out to dinner and had a conversation or I could totally understand Italian, but when it's like technical wine terms, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always tell my friends, they'd be like, go empty that tank and wash that thing. out. And I was like, I, I didn't know, even know what we were talking about half the time. So it was more watching and kind of learning. And yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I took much back. Um, it, it was great to kind of see it all in action, but, you know, selling wine and making wine are opposite sides of the spectrum yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, it seems like a cool experience to have and just be able to hang out near the coast of Italy yeah. sounds oh, like yeah. a dream. Yeah, it was great. Sounds like um, a dream right now. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get out of the town a little bit. So, you know, with, with your journey in being, becoming a sommelier and obviously as we touched on it a little bit earlier, being a female in the industry, I mean, it seems like you, with your experience on wall street and being surrounded by all these, these men for maybe a lot of dinners and quite some time, did that really help you just become more comfortable as a female in what I would assume is a male dominated, dominated industry. Like, I, yeah, I think working on wall street working, and I think maybe the most sexist industry, one of the most sexist industries on the planet. I mean, you talk about the dinners. I was working on a trading floor with probably 2000 men mm-hmm. and 50 women like it. And you know, it's not like we were all together. We were all scat, you know, you were just alone in a sea of men um, and you know, they didn't hold back. Like you were just kind of treated as one of the guys or not. And I, yeah. you know, I've always been a guy's girl. So it, it, I, I saw and heard things and, you know, I like to be frankly honest, I, I, I experienced sexual harassment my entire time on wall street. And there, mm-hmm. I, if I wanted, I probably could have left a very rich woman, but you know, I never, that's never what I wanted to do. I, I had a good experience and I, you know, for the most part, I was able to filter it out, which is, I guess what we're not really supposed to do. Um, filter it out and block it out and move forward and not, not pay attention to it. But, you know, coming from wall street into the restaurant world and into the wine world, to me, it was like a breath of fresh air because it it's in a restaurant. Like if you walk into a restaurant, you don't feel like it's all men in here. I mean, maybe old school Italian restaurants you do, but for the most part, you go to any restaurant in normal times, there's women managers, there's women chefs, there's women, you know, there's women and men kind of scattered about the restaurant. I really, to me, it's like, it's, it kind of doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you work for someone that's sexist or a sexual harasser, if your boss is that, that it doesn't matter if you're a teacher, if you're on wall street, or if you're in a restaurant, that's going to be what you have to deal with. So yeah. for, but for me, for the most part, you know, the wine world always felt 
pretty wide open to me. And I haven't in, in the restaurant industry, I haven't felt that sexual discrimination. And now I don't, I don't have a boss. There's no one to, you know, there's no one to sexually harass me. I'm, I'm yeah. a boss. Um, and, and, you know, maybe once in a while I'll be at a table and I'll say, Hey, can I help you with wine? And they'll say, Oh, the, the man sommelier was going to help us. And I said, Oh, the server. Okay, perfect. I'll send them right back. I mean, there's a, a little bit mm-hmm. of that, but I, that doesn't, that's nothing to me. So yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like wine and restaurants, if you want to be a manager, if you want to own a restaurant, you know, I think it's pretty open for you as a woman. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome and amazing to hear. And, you know, I'm not in these worlds and in these industries. And, um, I think it's really fascinating with just how it can be so different in so many, um, industries. And as you have experienced, um, so tell me about, so Adelina, um, and I think I, I read and correct me if I'm wrong, but before you became owner, you helped develop a award-winning wine list. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, just being the sommelier, I, I, when I took over the wine program, I, I basically sold off everything that the previous guy had. And just over time, I, I yeah, I built this huge list and yeah, my list is big. <laughs> and then what, <laughs> how did you win an award or where, tell me um, more. I mean, about- that's just through wine spectator. You just submit your list and they decide there's like three levels. One's like, oh, you have a really good list. The middle one's like, oh, you have a sick list. And the top one's like, you're at some, some, there's a million dollars in that list. So we yeah. have the middle one. Um, like the little Nell is the only restaurant in Aspen with the, the really high, mm. you have to have like, it's one of those restaurants where you go in and it's a book, but we, you know, we, mm-hmm. we have a, we have a big list. We probably have about 1500 labels and you know, it's, it's super fun to, to build it. I mean, it's kind of built now. I still buy stuff all the time, but it's, yeah. it's pretty structured and built and um, it's nice. I, I never have to go to the liquor store. It's off season. And I say, Oh, yeah. I got to stop by the restaurant. <laughs> Definitely a perk to being a restaurant owner and a sommelier. <laughs> There's one. There's one. Finally. <laughs> um, so tell me more about your journey to becoming the owner of Alina. How did that come into play? And did you have any sort of mentorship in your time through um, the restaurant? You know, so I, it's funny because when I was the psalm there and it was, you know, the restaurant was kind of, it wasn't really run great before. Um, it was, there was plenty of financial backing, but there wasn't real leadership and structure. And I think it was just, every, we were all kind of languishing and I don't think it was making money. And, you know, I got a phone call almost like three years to the day and they said, yeah, we're done. Like, done, like you're in the off season. I had just purchased my house. You know, it's off season. Like you, if you know you're not going to have a job, you prepare kind of differently. Like you, you maybe don't buy a house in Snowmass or you, you save money and don't buy like, I think I had like a new snowboard, like set, I, you know, whatever I had, I just yeah. was spending money and I get this phone call and they were like, we're done. And they're like, do you know anyone that wants to buy it? And I was like, no. And I had always said, you know, I will never buy this place. I will never buy this restaurant. Mm-hmm. I said it a million times. Is um, it because how it was ran previously that? Yeah, gave I mean, you... that was part of it. I just always said like, this building is old. Like it, it is the building's mm-hmm. old. Like this building's old. This isn't the space I would buy it in. This is, this is, this just isn't the restaurant I would buy. Whatever. So I, I always said that. And then they called me and they said, you know, listen, we're done. We're not reopening. If you know someone that wants to buy it, like one of the customers let us know. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not going to help you sell it. Like you just basically laid me off. Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought for three days and I called them back and I said, listen, if you're going to sell this thing and I can help you sell it, you can't close. Like if, if you walk past Alina in the winter and it was pitch dark, covered in snow, shuttered, you'd say that restaurant can't be sold. That's done. 
you know, it's over. So I said, you know, give me a chance. Let the current, you know, the, let, the, let the current manager go. He doesn't want to be here anymore. Let me run the restaurant myself. Let me try to make some money for you and let me see if I can find a buyer or I might buy it myself. And the guy, he's, he's very wealthy guy who owned the restaurant before he came back and he's like, okay, that's a good idea. So he let me run it for one winter and I, I ran it, you know, I was super nervous. I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I had never done like the financial part of the business and and basically general managing. I had always kind of run the restaurant a little bit, but not where I cared or where I was really, I was like, you know, it, it was a big step up for sure. So the restaurant made money. And, and at the end of the, that winter season that he let me run it, um, I, all the money that the restaurant made, he got to keep. And I said, okay, you know, make me an offer, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about me buying it. So, um, you know, it just, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. So yeah. the way it was set up, the pricing, you know, the hardest part about opening or owning a restaurant is really that first five, seven years where you're just pouring money down the drain, trying to get established, trying to get a customer base. And, you know, he was kind of an unlimited fund of money when, for our first seven years, I've been there since the first day that restaurant opened. So he was an unlimited source of money that helped float that restaurant. And I got to walk into a restaurant that I knew intimately and, and was established. And I knew I could make things better. I knew I could make money. So that's kind of how it, it came about. And I had no mentors, nobody, you know, I talked to my dad a little bit. My dad's knows, my dad always told me never buy a restaurant. I will never help you buy a restaurant, never buy them. Because, you know, the truth about restaurants, the margins are like, the margins are like 7% if you're yeah. doing really good. So if you do a million dollars, you take the, the, the profit is 70,000. Yeah. If you do 2 million, one four, I mean, it's nothing. And if you make a couple mistakes, one percentage point mistake on the food cost, one percentage point loss on liquor, you're just all of a sudden you're doing 2%, but you know, you can, you can go in the red really quickly in a restaurant and spiral yeah. out of control. So there was, I've talked to a couple other restaurant owners in town, but this isn't, um, it's, I wouldn't say Aspen's an amazing restaurant community in terms of everyone helping each other out. It's kind of very, um, fractured on your own and yeah, hope for, for sure. The best. Like, yeah, everyone's doing their own thing. It's not malicious, but everyone's kind of just doing their own thing. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say anyone's out there trying to, to help other people, but yeah, I mean, there's been some people that I talked to about it and everyone was just, you know, everyone was just like, make sure you have a good lease. Like, cause that's yeah. the most important thing. And um, I just dove head first in and yeah. figured it out. So, so, so much, so many questions just came to mind. So first, why, why are you still in it? If, if your dad told you not to buy a restaurant, if you know, the margins are so slim, what, what lights well, you up you with know, being a restaurant owner? You know, it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it really is quite fun. Like when I think about it long-term, I don't know. And I don't think in 15, 20 years that I will still be there at Alina. I don't think I have that mental capacity. Mm-hmm. I need change. I need something. I need to mix things up. Um, and it, and it's grueling hard work. It really is. I mean, and I, and we're lucky in Aspen that we have these off season breaks because I, I, you know, I don't know how you do it when it's 24 seven lunch and dinner, but you know, we, we, I, I do all the work in the restaurant, which, and I've made money, you know, what keeps me in it? You make money. Like once you mm-hmm. start making money as hard as it all is, I think if you started to lose money, you could really, you'd want to be out quick. But when you're making money in any business, it motivates you. It's what, you know, it's all your hard work pays off. And, you know, I do, I do, you know, I do all my own bookkeeping. I have two things that I outsource. I have a lawyer and I have an accountant. Um, And because I can't do those things, but I do all my own bookkeeping. I'm my general manager. I'm the sommelier. So I save so much money 
um, just by doing that. And it's, you know, being in a restaurant, it is fun. There is adrenaline to it. It's, you know, we've, when you're packed and busy, it's, it's the whole thing to make it work is a, it's a symphony. And it's, um, you know, people are screaming at each other in the back. You get, it's hot head. I mean, it's, it's adrenaline, it's excitement. And it's, you know, it's fun to give people a great bottle of wine or let people have an amazing dinner and, and people really enjoy their time in your restaurant. I mean, it's the hospitality part of it and the making money part of it that, that is makes it worth it. Yeah. Well, I know I'm, you know, just from a personal standpoint, whether it's when I've eaten at Alina and had dinner and drinks, I mean, there's so many wonderful memories from a customer standpoint that you leave what that you have at a restaurant, or if you have a birthday celebration or a, you know, engagement party, whatever it is at a restaurant. And I think restaurants really create those really loving, fun memories that people take with them forever. And especially if you are um, a tourist in a place like Aspen, that you get to have a really special dining experience and then, you know, go home and tell your friends about it and then can't wait to come back the following year to go experience it again. Um, Yeah, it's true. I mean, some of my greatest memories of, of like local life and traveling life are the restaurants that you go to. I mean, Half the place, half the time you travel somewhere, you, you're all you're doing is researching restaurants because it's yeah. you know it's such a fun thing to experience. Yeah. So, what were some when you took over Alina after that winter of your trial period, and yeah. um, eventually when the previous owner sold it, what were some of the major changes that you made to make it more in line with how you do business? Um, well, the main thing is I was just, I work every single night. Like I don't take days off. So I, I just feel like it, nothing, it's just wouldn't be the same if I wasn't there. And, and that's pr- yeah. partially my own fault because I am the sommelier. I don't have a manager. So, you know, on, on the one hand, that's a negative because it kills you in the end. But on the positive side is that you're there every night and you're, you know, you're, you're making sure everything is exactly the way you want it. And I, I clean the restaurant up. Like I made it, you know, I, you know, I made, I put a woman's touch on it. Like I mm-hmm. ripped out the floors. I, you know, I, I painted brick. I changed the carpets. I changed the layout. I just made it look like someone was taking care of the restaurant. I wanted it to be sexy and pretty and cozy. Um, and, and I wanted to make the best use of that space because we are in a basement of a, like a hundred year old building that's already burnt mm-hmm. down once. Like it's a historic building. It's really cool. Those original stone walls make it. Um, you know, but you could all, it can also have a dungeony effect. So I really tried to lighten it up and make it, make it beautiful in there and make the patio really pretty and do all my, all the wild, all the, not the wildflowers, the regular flowers. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. My brain's always with wildflowers. Do all the flowers <laughs> like really do beautiful stuff in the summer and really make it, just try to make it cozy. And, you know, that was, that's just aesthetics, but I, I just, you know, we never used to have like a pre-service meeting that we never used to have like there was no guidance. So I just stepped in and I kind of made it run the way it should. Like I made it that there's a pre-service every day. Like I'm on top of it. Like if I'm always on the floor, there's no screwing around. Like, and, yeah. and I have such a great team now. All my servers have been there a long time. Like we don't have staff turnover anymore. Um, and, and I dialed in the, like, it's just little things. I dialed in the menu the way I want things to read on the menu, like just the pricing. Like I, you know, just, you know, working with chef on ideas for the menu. It's just, it's every it's every aspect changing the glassware like the glassware looked like someone's like old like grandma's water glasses like spending more money to have pretty glassware and changing the table setup it's just all little things like that I just kind of poured myself into it and made it the way I wanted it to be yeah um what's been your proudest moment at Alina so far as owner 
Um, you know, honestly, I would, I would probably say just getting through the summer and the way that my, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't such a busy summer. I wouldn't say the customers were overly nice all the time. Like we dealt with a lot of, we had so many tourists in here that have never been to Aspen before. We dealt with a lot of people that didn't want to wear masks, that didn't want to sit at tables. Like when we first reopened, everyone was so grateful. And then it kind of, you know, it was tough. Like we had a lot of confrontations with customers and just, I saw what my staff was having to put up with and deal with. And, mm-hmm. you know, just the way they all kind of grouped together and, and got through it and made money and made it, made the restaurant successful in a really, in a tough mental state, like the world's in a tough mental state. And for my staff to show up there every day and do their best and sell and be happy and be nice to each other and, and make the restaurant successful. I think this summer was probably, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was like, we're going down. Like in March, if you would have talked to me in March, I would have said, we're going down. We're never real. Like we're not going to make any money. We're no one's coming to Aspen. And for it to be such a surprise, the way it ended up turning out and, and my staff just did so great. And, you know, all of us work together as a team, I would say it was, would be this summer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get more into that. And one of the, cause it's very relevant. And I pulled up this quote, uh, from fortune.com and it says in 2019, the U S restaurant industry generated over $850 billion this year. It's on track for its worst year ever. Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic with restaurants shuttered and millions of jobs lost. It's no exaggeration to say the industry is in turmoil. Obviously, that's very heavy and alarming and also very true words. And I think what's fascinating um, from what you've already touched on is, and also if people have listened to other episodes, being in the Roaring Fork Valley, being in Aspen and in Snowmass, that we are in this very unique bubble. And it seems like that has benefited you as a restaurant owner through this pandemic. And, um, you know, I'm sure tell me, I guess, how are you doing more takeout or has it been the same amount of people in, in the dining room eating or how has your customer base changed since the pandemic started? Well, you know, we, we, you know, in before the pandemic, you'd get a takeout order and you'd be like, oh, so annoyed by it. (laughs) And we really, you know, our focus at the beginning, when we, when we first reopened, we opened earlier than we usually reopen for the summer. We opened May 26th just for takeout. We were like, let's just see how it goes. Let's just get back open and we'll see what Mm -hmm. happens. Cause there wasn't really language out about when we were allowed to open. So we knew we were going to be takeout focused. Um, and that's why, you know, we, we've always wanted to have tacos on the menu, more tacos. We always had a couple at the bar, but we, you know, chef is from Mexico everyone loves tacos. Like we eat them every single night in the back, like randoms, but they just make us random salsas that like, you know, blow your brain. And, and like, there's, we're always eating tacos in the back. So we said, yeah. you know, I said, you know what, let's do this. Like, let's make the, let's make tacos. Like let's put a huge taco menu. Let's make five kinds of tacos. And he was totally on board. So, um, that was one of the things that's been, it was a huge success for us. Like I was just looking at the numbers and you know, the tacos in-house and to-go, they were all crazy. So we did a fair amount of to-go business. It's kind of funny the way it worked. Like you'd either do none or the phone wouldn't stop ringing every night. Mm-hmm. It was like takeout vibe in the town or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say a big portion of our business came from takeout though. Like I fought tooth and nail for patio space this summer yeah. and I had neighbors and you probably know who my neighbors are. 
who are real close to me, but I had to like fight very hard for it because, you know, they have the entire middle part of the mall. And I said, this isn't right. It's a bar. You know, I'm a restaurant and like you got it. You, you got to give me better space. So yeah. I, I was just so annoying and, you know, so bitchy about the whole thing nonstop that they gave me space. They ended up giving me more space in the middle. It wasn't the space I wanted, but so I had my entire patio, the patio I usually have right in front of the restaurant on my stairs. And then I had the whole middle section of the mall. And, you know, there was nothing else to do but eat out. Like you came to Aspen, first of all, you know, we were packed. There was no concerts. There were no movies. There was no music. There was nothing to do except hike or do something during the day and then go out to eat. So mm-hmm. we had, we were full, the, you know, it was hard. We were just full. There were no down nights. We were full. Yeah. The patio was, I mean, the patio was full. As soon as you'd clear a table, somebody else would walk up and want the table, like on the patio, just because we had, I think your, how well you did this summer was somewhat dependent on how well, good your patio was. If you had a great patio, yeah. you did great. If you had, didn't ask for patio space or you had a bad patio, you, you just didn't do as well. People wanted to eat outside. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say the expanded patio gave me as much space as I would normally have inside. And we had people, plenty of people don't care about COVID and said, no, I'll eat inside. I don't care. I'll eat inside. So we had tables inside, mm-hmm. you know, all summer, not, not, it wasn't packed because we have limitations, but we took a bunch of tables out and we had tables inside. So we, we were, we were busy all summer, takeout, in dining, patio didn't matter. That's so awesome. And I think, I mean, it, a lot of that summer success seems like it's attributed to your hard work and your just tenacity behind making, like seeing the greater vision for your restaurant this summer and knowing what needs to happen and sticking with it. And I mean, did the city of Aspen help in any other way for restaurant space? You know, the, the city, the, it's hard because there's so much criticism from people all over the place. Like no one knew how to deal with a pandemic. And it's so hard for me to put blame on them. Like people like the city doesn't communicate. I'm like, no one, everyone is just trying to get up to speed with a pandemic that our grandparents didn't see the likes of our great grandparents barely, you know, depending on where they were, this is just such an unprecedented situation. Um, And I, I think the city of Aspen has done well. I think like they gave us, they had a rent relief program, which, you know, could work for you or could not. Like if your landlord, and there's not a lot of great landlords in town, but if your landlord was on board, it worked out for you. My landlord was partially on board. So I got a little bit of help um, okay. on the rent and, you know, and, and, and we all got PPP loans, which, you know, we, you know, we, we need because as, as negative as I was going into the summer, I think it's so dangerous to be positive going into winter. Cause I think it could be yeah. really hard. I think, you know, as, as, well as we did like each season is its own season like the money that we made it kind of it goes so quick because you have these off seasons it's not like you have this sustained income generation like all of a sudden you're closed for six weeks and bills are still coming and rent is still due and payroll is still due um so we're just trying to figure it out and you know the city has been super helpful with rent and giving us outdoor space and they're doing Mm -hmm. everything they can to help us be successful And you can't say that they did a bad job when we were all successful. Like most of us did very well. So I think the city has helped us out as much as they could. And, you know, maybe they could have done things differently. Maybe they could have done things better for, for most of us. It worked out. So I think we have to say great job to the city and Tori's been really helpful. Um, So, you know, going into winter, I think you have to have a complete, you know, it's hard because you have to completely change your strategy. I mean, for us to make money in the winter, You've been in there in the winter. You've been in there with your family. Didn't you come on like Christmas Eve last year or something like that? Like, you know, it's like, it's packed. Like you can, you have to like suck it in to walk by tables. And especially during those Christmas weeks, I mean, the restaurant 
for us to make money has to be kind of shoulder to shoulder. Mm. That's not, that's not going to happen this year. And, you know, the city, I just got an email from the city saying like, here's this grant from Colorado. If you want to buy a tent, like to me, how do you build a tent? Like I'm downstairs. What do I say to a server? Like you got, it's negative 10. You got outside tonight. You're carrying food up icy stairs. Like food gets cold super quick. You're in a tent. Tents have no ventilation. I, to me, it's like, it's a four month season and all that stuff is going to cost 50, hundred thousand to kind of implement. I'm putting in a new ventilation system, an uh, ERV system that brings in fresh air, sucks out bad air. Hmm. And we're getting bipolar ion filters, whatever. I don't understand what they are, but we're getting those. (laughs) Um, And we're just going to, we're just going to take capacity down. And unfortunately, like if my capacity goes down 50% for the winter, which is what it's looking like, um, my prices have to go up 50%. And that's the truth. Like it's not going to make locals happy. Um, but locals have to understand, just let me get through the four months of this season. All of our takeout will still be regular pricing. So we're going to try and keep that for the locals. Um, and we're just going to have to do some sort of, we're going to probably just have our menu the way you would normally see it. And it's a set price. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's going to have to be expensive because my food costs aren't going down 50%. My rent's not going down 50%. My payroll's not going down 50%. I'll go out of business if I just say, let's open and have 40 people in the restaurant at once. And the bar can barely be open. So, you know, it's, I'm definitely nervous about winter. Yeah. Um, Well, it seems like you have some good strategies in place that, you know, hopefully fingers crossed work out for you. And if there's one message that I think all listeners can um, probably pick up on is go support your local restaurants, support your local businesses, um, whether it's just takeout, if that's what you feel comfortable doing. Um, how do you, you know, when the outlook, like you said, I mean, you, you are nervous for winter. How do you keep going one foot in front of the other? How do you take this off season right now and to prepare, I guess, mentally for the winter and try to stay positive? I mean, it's, it's pretty anxiety filled, honestly, but you, you know, I'm, I, I feel positive. I'm way more positive than I was, you know, in, in the spring when I was just so nervous and, you know, now this is looking like it's not going to go away soon, but at the same note, I don't think you have a summer like we just had in Aspen and have a dead winter. I still think there's nowhere to travel. Aspen is so easy to get to versus like, it's just, it's a great spot. It's, it's outdoor, it's mountainy, you know, it's a small, quaint little town. It's not like going to a city. You can't go anywhere. And it's, it's, it's really in the U S it's one of the more, the mountain towns are the perfect spot. Like beach towns are beaches are closed. I mean, I, I really do hope they keep the mountains open to me. The one thing I feel so strongly about is besides the restaurants that are like cafeteria style skiing is the safest thing that you can do. Like you're on a, you're by yourself. Like you're not, you're going down the mountains here. You're not near anybody. You're by yourself. You get on the lift, keep it spaced out you're already wearing a face mask basically. So I, you know, I just, and goggles. I mean, I, you're wearing gloves. Like I just think that I hope that they keep the mountains open. The the on mountain restaurants are going to have to come up with the same things that we are. Like you're going to have to have a waitress or a server or something like that, just because the cafeteria style thing, I think that's the main part of skiing that makes it difficult is those big restaurants, you know? Um, but as long as they keep the mountains open, this will be a, a, a destination for people and if you kind of, you know, what keeps me going, I just, I guess I just, I'm always strategizing. Like I'm sitting here, I have all this stuff. Like I'm constantly thinking about how I'm going to make this work and, you know, things that I can do to make it successful. And, and 
you know, the, the thing that I just keep coming back to is that it's just going to have to just make it simple, keep capacity reduced. Like think about if town's busy, like even to a degree that it was this summer and restaurants don't have patios and are all at 50%, you'll have a wait list for people. Like there will be nowhere to eat. Like if you're paying 800 a night at the Nell, you can probably pay 125 for a, a dinner that's going to be really nice and safe and spaced out and you're not going to be stressed out. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just think there's money in this town. So to be scared about pricing too high, like, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. And then, you know, the locals, we'll take care of the locals when we reopen in the summer, when we can actually, you know, do our business the way we're used to doing it. I think this summer, yeah. you're just going to have to let the restaurants experiment a little bit because, you know, think about some of the smaller restaurants in Aspen, you know, they're half capacity is nine people or 15 yeah. people. So, you know, yeah. Um, well we will see. And I, I, um, concur that I really hope that the ski mountains stay open throughout the winter. And of course, no one knows what's going to happen. And, um, you yeah. know, I think that's our biggest, uh, prom or our best option right now to keep the town going and, um, hopefully get through the winter. Yeah. So to wrap things up, um, recently in Aspen magazine, you were named a woman of influence in Aspen. Tell me about that. Well, test strokes, just, uh, you know, she always takes care of me. I, I yeah, I, I saw that. I, 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 I don't know. I, I kind of don't like being interviewed, like, and I don't like my <laughs> picture taken. So it was kind of a, um, a double win, but it, it's good. It's always nice to be recognized. And, you know, Aspen magazine's always been good to me and, and some of the other publications have always been good. Um, and it's, it's nice to be recognized. You know, we're trying to do a good thing. We're trying to be kind of a pillar, um, in Aspen in the community. It's such, you know, it is such a small and tight community and, um, you know, we're just trying to do our best to, um, to be a place people feel comfortable and, and people are happy. There's just, you know, it's, it's just so hard. There's so little to be like hope, not, it's just hard to be positive right now. Like, yeah. especially we've got an election tomorrow. We've got a pandemic. It's, it's, there, yeah. it's daylight savings. There's a lot going against us right now. So just trying to be positive and like make the restaurant a cozy little clubhouse for, you know, um, my customers and my friends and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's nice to be recognized. Um, you know, if I was, you know, 15 years ago, if I was on wall street and you said, Oh, you're going to own a restaurant Aspen, I would have never believed it. So it kind of is just all come about and, and worked out really good for me. But, um, you know, there is a lot of hard work behind it. So it's, it's yeah, nice for that to be recognized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of, while there are so many uncertainties and the word that the entire world has used unprecedented times, I think at the end of the day, what's so special about Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley, the other towns involved in the Roaring Fork Valley uh, is the community, the, the aspect of community and locals taking care of locals and even tourists like come out all the reasons why you mentioned they want to come here. It's outdoorsy. It's quaint. It's cute. It's, uh, you know, you can be on the mountains. It's just, I think to me, what gives me a sense of like peace through all of this uncertainty is just knowing how incredible our community is and how incredible everyone within our community is and how resilient everyone is. And I think if we can just continue to take care of each other, um, you know, hopefully things will work out and maybe that's very, very optimistic, but at the end of the day, I think we all, our community is filled with amazing, incredible people who, um, work hard and want eat, want everyone to succeed and in themselves included. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're incredibly lucky to live here. I mean, it's, you know, my whole family's in New York City. 
they barely leave the apartment. You know, it's, yeah. it's a completely different life here. Like I'm going to hang up from this and go on a bike ride and mm-hmm. go be outside and see beautiful things. And it's going to clear my head. And we're so lucky that we have the open space and we have a community here. So I feel, I, I really do feel extremely thankful um, just for the time and the place and where we are and, and, yeah. and the Roaring Fork community. It's, it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Agreed. So last question, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? About owning a restaurant? Just life oh. in general. Throw it at um, me. Oh man, that's a tough one. I didn't, I didn't see that in your questions. Um, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Don't try to change things that can't be changed that you can't control. If you can't control something, you got to let it go. Yeah. No, you can't, if you can't, if, if, if the situation is, if the situation's unchangeable, you, you know, don't kill yourself trying to fix it. Just walk away from it. So, um, I guess, you know, that, and my grandmother always said weird stuff to me. So, I mean, it's, it's just, there's different pieces of advice from all over. I mean, there's not just one piece of advice. It's, it's different snippets from lots of different people over time that kind of all add up to help you make decent decisions once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great piece of advice and um, very uh, applicable to many aspects of people's lives. So where can people connect with you, Jill and Alina? Well, I'm, I'm, I've never had Facebook. I'm anti-Facebook. I don't understand it. So we, but we do have All Instagram. Good. We have Instagram <laughs> and and, um, and uh, it's Alina Aspen is the Instagram. And we've got, you know, we have a, a webpage and you can always contact me on, on our Instagram or um, come on by the restaurant. I think we're going to reopen December 9th for the winter season. So Somewhere. I'll be there until April 15th. And then maybe they'll let me leave the country. <laughs> would you go to Italy or where would you go? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to buy a place there. I kind of want to end oh, up wow. having, yeah. Um, so maybe you can look into the Italian real estate yeah. market, but I, I've looked, <laughs> I mean, I, I want to buy, I want to have a place there near the ocean. And, and then, then my life's complete. You have a house in the mountains here and a place in, and a place in Italy on the beach. So yeah, I would, I'd go back mm-hmm. to Europe. I mean, I kind of grew up there half here and half there. So it's, mm-hmm. it's close to my heart and it's hard not to be able to, to leave. It's hard. It's hard for everyone. It's hard not to be able yeah. to leave the country. Yeah, of course. Unprecedented. Well. Your word unprecedented. <laughs> yeah. The world's word. Um, well, thank you so much, Jill, for your time. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I think the, one of the biggest takeaways from this, I mean, there's so many great takeaways, but really in these times go support local businesses, local restaurants, you know, it's okay if you can just do takeout and that's what you feel comfortable with. But really these are the times that these businesses need all the support that they can get and hopefully get through winter as we, uh, go into it. And, um, yeah, we really appreciate all the support from, from Aspen everywhere. You know, it's been great for us, so we appreciate it. And thanks so much for having me. It was fun. You're welcome. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked the episode and the show, please be sure to rate review and subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends as a new podcast. This is the best way you can support the show. To see more about each episode or to connect with me, head on over to my Instagram page at Jordi Karlinski.